Welcome to Panhandle Sports Live, the premier home for all things sport in the Eastern Panhandle. He's across midfield. He's into the open field. Touchdown, Martinsburg. Towards the pylon. Touchdown, Washington. Hear from the coaches and players that make the Eastern Panhandle the place for sports in the state of West Virginia. This kid, he's got silver bullets. And it's a two-possession lead for the Appleman. Get the high snap. Robinson trying to get to the outside. Makes a jerk move. Gets to the inside. Keyshawn Robinson. Touchdown, Cougars. Be a part of the conversation on today's show by texting at 304-263-4321. The throw not in time. Hedgesville's going to Charleston. Gavin Young puts the drive up 9-63-54. The Spring Mills Cardinals, 18-0 to finish the regular season. Now, live from the Hoppy Kerchival building in historic Martinsburg. Get your popcorn ready. Panhandle Sports Live is on the air. Well, boys, they let us get to Friday again. It is Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kerchival building here in Martinsburg, West Virginia. I'm Luke Wiggs, Daniel Woods along for the ride. Parker Stone will be back on Tuesday, we technically get Monday off. We have yet to decide whether or not we're going to do a live Pain Handle Sports Live on Monday. Uh, we leaning towards yes, but uh, uh, we, we like to keep our listeners on our toes. So go ahead and tune in. Like Hold on, stand by. Thanks for that. They like to keep them on our toes? What? What? Okay. I don't know. You, uh, what's you, up, you Daniel? Said, you said you liked that you like to keep the listeners on our toes. Oh, okay. I, I, I didn't. I'll I, take your word I for it. I don't love people standing on my toes. <laughs> Uh, well, if you missed yesterday's show, I'm a little bit under the weather, so apologies for the voice that's carried into Friday. I'm going to do everything I can to lose it by tonight's game. You're going to want to catch our coverage of high school basketball. Uh, that'll begin at 7.30 tonight. It's Martinsburg against Lindsley. We're able to take in some high school basketball last night. We'll talk about that in just a couple of seconds. We've got a busy show today uh, because coming up, we're going to recap our top 10 Eastern Pain Handle Sports Stories of the Year, uh, chosen without malice and without very much scientific research. So if you disagree with us, you're welcome to let us know on the text line 304-263-4321. Coming up later in the show, we'll talk about the Joe Flacco experience. And also, we submit for um, your Academy nominations. Tingus, tingus! We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show as well because it was an exciting night, as always, in the NBA. But as I said, we got to take in some high school basketball last night. Uh, both at Hedgesville and Martinsburg. We got to see three Eastern Panhandle teams that were in action, two of which were winners in Jefferson and Martinsburg and a Washington team that was handed their first loss of the season. Let's start with Jefferson, Daniel Woods. My takeaways from that game, the biggest concern, Jamari Jenkins uh, in the first half rolled his ankle. He had to uh, be helped off the floor. Um, From what I understand, it's not a break, but you you have to wait and see, sprain or whatever, if that's going to keep him out for a couple of weeks or if he's going to be fine, although he was in... A tremendous amount of duress. My takeaways, I like the depth they have on the wing. Ty Vickers, Kylan Johnson both did things that impressed me. Jaden Gladney didn't play that well, which is scary to think that you know they won this game against Cesar Chavez Parkside um, pretty comfortably, and they did so without one of their stars really playing particularly well. And then Quentin Goins, I was really impressed with some of the minutes that we got from him. And Jared Wilberger did some things that I liked. One of the two of those two bigs playing next to White Shively is going to have to have a big game when they play good teams. And if they play even to that level, Jefferson remains the dangerous team that we thought they were. And I won't even say that uh, you had a bad performance out of Jaden Gladney. He didn't shoot the ball very well, but he had a lot of impact defensively for that team last night. I think that's what stood out for me the most about him. 
Uh, like you said, a little bit of concern for Jamari Jenkins, just with a guy who so much of his game is built around his quickness, his ability to get around people going to the basket. Uh, you know, uh, an ankle sprain can affect that long term, even if you feel like you're close to 100%. So that's my concern there. But uh, again, the physicality that, that Quentin Goins brought on the offensive glass in particular was impressive in that game. Uh, that, that Parkside team was not particularly cohesive, I, I wouldn't say, but they had a lot of good athletes, and Quentin Goins was was able to beat those guys on the offensive glass uh, pretty consistently, which was uh, an impressive thing for me to see. And then, again, like you said, those supporting pieces really stood out. Kylan Johnson shot the ball very well. Ty Vickers, uh, a really good connecting piece in the half court, I thought. And, and one thing that I noticed from when we saw Jefferson to start the year to seeing them last night, it seems like Richard Lewis is still kind of working out what he wants that rotation to look like. It was a different starting lineup last night than we had seen. We saw still some guys deeper in the bench uh, get a chance to go out there in the first half, play a couple minutes, see if they could have an impact. Uh, so this is a Jefferson team that I still think is figuring some things out. Uh, but when you're in a position like that and your best player gets knocked out of the game in the first half and you can still win comfortably, I think that says a lot about what they've got. Well, you can find a recap of that game in the Martinsburg Journal, um, along with another game we'll talk about here in just a second in Washington, uh, losing their first game of the season to Lindsley. But let's go to Martinsburg next, uh, the other EPAC team that was a winner yesterday. By the way, Spring Mills was also victorious uh, down south. They beat Spring Valley. Yet again, another 20-point performance from Lakai Youth-Smith, um, and I think the state's really started to take notice of him. Uh, but Martinsburg, let's be real. We saw very closely the first quarter and a half, and we read about the rest of the game after we left uh, the Skip Fowler Classic that they have going on in Martinsburg, where we're going to broadcast from tonight. And it was not a very pretty brand of basketball, Daniel Woods. Martinsburg had eight points to the first 12-ish minutes of this game, but found a different gear. You know, the first time we get to see Deshaya King, it was really their only offense when they struggled to start the game. Then Keyshawn Cheek really started to step up. Chase Shipley, Kyrie Bunny hit a big shot. They started to get more production from their forwards. Two very different Martinsburg teams in the first and second half of that game. First half Martinsburg team... You know, we kind of jokingly said, we don't know who the worst team in the EPAC is going to be. Well, that was a pretty solid resume until they flipped the switch at half. Dave Rogers able to make adjustments as he's done for 40 years as head coach of the Bulldogs. And uh, they beat a North Hagerstown team that has aspirations of making a deep run into the Maryland State Tournament and uh, come back and beat them. So I was you certainly impressed with what we heard about, you know, the second half of that game. Keyshawn Cheek, I said this to you. I think he's my definitive top playmaker in the EPAC. Is he the best point guard? I don't know. You know, Jamari Jenkins is also somebody I would put into that conversation. But, you know, Martinsburg, certainly a lot more to hang their hat on in the second half of that game and a quality victory. I think what you saw there is a Martinsburg team that's still trying to figure out its own identity. Uh, you had... <laughs> Keyshawn Cheek, Josiah King, two guys that spend a lot of time with the basketball in their hands. And I think that coaching staff and I think the players themselves are still trying to figure out exactly how that's all going to come together uh, for this this team to to be able to play cohesively and, and what that identity is going to be. So at the end of the day, I think what you're looking at with this Martinsburg team is on sheer talent. I think they are up there with the best that the the EPAC has to offer. It all just has to come together because there are guys stepping into bigger roles than they had last year. There are guys stepping into different roles than they had last year. And then, oh, by the way, the two guys that have the ball in their hands the most, 
were not on this team last year. So, again, I think it is still a little bit of a feeling out period for this Martinsburg team. Uh, but I am confident with Dave Rogers as the head coach of this team, the amount of experience that he has, and then with Marcellus Basie uh, essentially over the last couple of years becoming his chief lieutenant and someone that uh, has a, a really big say in what this team does and, and how these players interact with one another, I, I think it won't take long for them to necessarily figure it out. You know, Marcellus Basie was listed when he played at WVU as five foot eight. That was a very generous mm. five foot eight, but he averaged what sixteen points a game his senior year. He's a tremendous thousand point scorer. That's that's. I mean, uh, the people out here in the the Eastern Panhandle, we don't need to tell them about Marcellus Basie, but uh, you're you're talking about one of the greatest all-around athletes the state of West Virginia has ever seen. That's that's a guy that you probably don't have a problem with having a, a pretty strong voice in your locker room. That's a guy that he's one bad hit in a Hedgesville game away from potentially being an NFL running back. And, and obviously went on to play, what, for the the Astros organization in Ma uh, Major League Baseball and nope. then you know had a great career in college. Um, anyways, the last game I want to talk about, Washington Patriots undefeated no more. They lost to a really good Lindsley team yesterday. Um, and it was a game that was competitive through the first quarter and a half, and then uh, Lindsley really started to pull away. Have some really quality players on this team do the cadets, and they're going to be in action again tonight as we take a closer look at this Martinsburg team. Um, you know, Luca Keeman was somebody that really impressed us yesterday, goes for 18 points. You have Diari Goodwin, who holds multiple Division One offers as well. Uh, that was a problem matchup-wise for Washington, especially when they got into foul trouble. Hit a crazy three at the end of the third quarter. Um, you know, Chet Gore was in foul trouble. How would that have changed things for Washington? Uh, because they had undersized players guarding Goodwin after the first quarter of this game. Um, you know, DJ Boardley was blanketed for the first time this season. He's averaging over 20 a game. He's held to 12. Chris Dolman did some things I like collapsing the defense. You know, my takeaway is, as you can see from an individual talent perspective, that Washington is miles ahead of where they were a season ago. But, you know, there's a little bit of a, a cohesiveness issue that you would expect from putting new faces with a new coach in a program that's relatively new as well. So, you know, while Washington's not ready to slay a giant that is in the state of West Virginia, but obviously not in the SSAC, there's still cause for optimism for the Patriots. Chet Gore had a couple possessions on the wing. He was handling the ball like a guard, and I was blown away. Welty still got great footwork. Del Dolman's still somebody that can really put pressure on the rim, and Portley can hit some tough buckets for you. The McCarthy's I like. Machado I liked. You know, it, it's not often you can look at a game where a team loses by 35 points, and there were problems defensively, don't get me wrong, and still be optimistic about a team's outlook for the rest of the season. Absolutely, and I think... It goes back to what I what I said to you last night, which was, I don't know who the worst team in the EPAC is. And yeah. I said that after watching, watching Washington lose by 35 points. And I think that is clearly a, a testament to what it felt like every boys basketball coach in the EPAC told us when they came on this show before the season, which is there's no off nights. This may be the strongest top to bottom that the EPAC has ever been. And... Uh, like you said uh, about what Washington had going offensively, I really liked a lot of what Chris Dolman did in that game. Leslie El Machado did some good things off the bench. But with the way that they had played the first few games, it felt like at least until somebody else stepped up, they were going to live and die with DJ Boardley putting the ball in the basket. And, it's like a tough shot. And Lindsley was aware of that. The amount of times that 
they came down the floor and the possession ended with DJ Boardley taking a turnaround 17-footer with two hands in his face, it happened a lot. And again, he's a guy that has the ability to make those kind of tough shots, but Lindsley knew what his game was. They knew what they were going to have to do to stop him, and they were able to do that. So I think my biggest takeaway from Washington is you're going to need somebody other than DJ Borley to step up consistently. And I get that through the first couple of games, Chet Gore had kind of been that second option, and he was in foul trouble in this game. Uh, but some encouraging things from Chris Dolman when it came to scoring the basketball uh, in this game for me. He obviously had a great freshman year last year, uh, scored a ton of points for this team last year, and, and had really not been asked to score a whole lot to start the year this year. If he can step up and instead of being you know, a six-point-per-game guy like he had been through the first few games, if Chris Dolman can be a 10- to 12-point-per-game guy for you, if Chet Gore can be a 10- to 12-point-per-game guy for you, and then DJ Boardley's getting you somewhere maybe in the realm of, of 16 to 18 instead of having to go get you 23 or 25 every night, and you can balance the scoring a little bit out a little more, I think this Washington team could still make a lot of noise in the Eastern Panhandle. Got to take our first break. When we return, we'll look back at the top 10 stories that our staff has picked uh, for sports in the Eastern Panhandle in this last year. As I mentioned, we've got high school basketball tonight. Martinsburg takes on Lindsley. You can hear it uh, in the 7 o'clock hour here on WEPM and WCST. And don't forget, still to come later on in the show. You're not going to want to miss that either. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Want to revisit an episode of Panhandle Sports Live? Follow the Panhandle News Network on Spotify today. Welcome back inside the Hoppy Kirchville building. Luke Wiggs and Daniel Woods with you on this Friday as we turn our attention to our sports staff's rankings of the top 10 stories in the Eastern Panhandle this past year. And again, we put a lot of thought into this list, uh, but if we left out your top story, don't be upset with us. You can let us know, 304-263-4321. I think we cover a pretty broad gamut of sports stories here in this segment. Uh, I'm sure we're not going to be able to make everybody happy, but we did our best, and that's what matters. We begin with number 10. And how could we not start with a little high school football in the Spring Mills Cardinals that set a program record for victories? The Cardinals finished the year 9-3. and three. Uh, They beat Spring Valley in the playoffs in the first round, making it to the state quarterfinals. Here's a highlight from that game and the thoughts of Marcus Law after they, were defeat, or they defeated Spring Valley in the first round of the playoffs. Their second ever playoff victory, their first ever playoff victory at home there at uh, the complex there, the Cardinal complex, if you will. Anderson thinking end zone, lobs it down the field, looking for Xavier Anderson. He adjusts and makes the catch of the end zone. What a catch by Xavier Anderson. Wrestled it away from the defender. The Cardinals won't be shut out. They say game on on their home field. Anderson goes under center, and Miracle Max will put that right knee into the ground one more time, and that'll be all she wrote. The final seconds ticking down here at Spring Mills High School. For just the second time in program history, the Cardinals have won a playoff game. It's great. It's great. Again, I always say it's not for me, but it's for the community. That This community has been longing. Uh, just that first victory, but then again, the first home victory. Um, we had a student section there. I mean, even our admin, just doing something for them to give back. That's what it's all about. Daniel Woods, this is a Cardinal football team that started freshman a couple of years ago. Keon Mills, Max Anderson, knowing that they were building for the future. They set a program record for wins, first home playoff game. They check in at number 10. What a season it was for the Cardinals. Heck of a season for Spring Mills, and, and really for the majority of this football season, I was watching from afar and, and keeping track of this, this Spring Mills team uh, because 
you saw everything that happened and with Marcus Law taking over and with what Marcus Law did in his one year in North Central West Virginia as the head coach at Trinity Christian School. And I knew from his reputation as an assistant at Morgantown High that if he was given an opportunity to be the head coach of the Spring Mills program, that the Cardinals could get something done with the amount of talent that they have on the roster. And it, it all came together perfectly this year for a really, really impressive season for Spring Mills. At number nine, the WVU football team coming into the season had a lot of doubters. They were picked last in the Big 12, and they were going to have to get uh, some key performances from some unsuspecting figures. Uh, a walk-on wide receiver, goes by the name of Hudson Clement, played his high school ball just down the road here in Martinsburg High School, had a tremendous three-touchdown performance against Duquesne and became a solid down-the-field threat for West Virginia the rest of the season. Most notably in that Duquesne game, going for three touchdowns, the Randy Moss stat line, we were calling it at the time, was awarded the scholarship by Mountaineer head football coach Neil Brown. Coming in at number nine, it's Hudson Clement. Second down, Green, first completion of the day to Hudson Clement and a West Virginia touchdown. B, there is nobody, no safety that can cover him one-on-one. Green, deep shot, looking for Clement again, pulls it in for a first down. Green to throw on second and 17, once the deep ball has a man behind everybody. Hudson Clement with his second touchdown of the day. Bigger for you, the scholarship there, or three touchdowns during the game? Um, honestly, I'd, I'd say the scholarship. I mean, that's that's something, you know, when I came here, I knew I'd have to grind for. And, you know, every day you're sort of playing with that in, in your mind. Like, that that's what you're, that's sort of the goal. So, um, I mean, three touchdowns, obviously a crazy accomplishment, um, especially first game. But um, that scholarship really just is the biggest thing for me. 22 catches, 480 yards, and four touchdowns this season for Hudson Clement, who's going to figure to be a key staple of the Mountaineer offense next season. Uh, and what more can you say about Hudson other than, I mean, he epitomizes the blue-collar nature of this WVU football team, put in the work, uh, became a scholarship player, one of their top targets, and just a fantastic story coming from just down the road here at Martinsburg. Hey, really impressive. Really, really impressive to see. And you, you saw in high school with Hudson Clement, uh, particularly with his performance uh, in the Super 6, that he had the ability to be a dynamic playmaker. And uh, you don't want to take a kid who just finished his redshirt freshman season of college and compare him to an NFL player. But I think it is a testament to what we have seen uh, from the absolute just machine that is Martinsburg football. And the fact that some kind, sometimes guys like Hudson Clement or guys like Tyson Bajit get lost in the shuffle because sometimes the assumption is, oh, well, that guy just plays for Martinsburg, so he's going to look good in high school and he's going to put up big numbers in high school. But at, at the end of the day, talent is talent, and it's going to rise to the top no matter what happens, and we saw that this year from Hudson Clement. Moving on to number eight, kind of an unceremonious game in high school boys basketball in February where the Jefferson basketball team was dominated by GW and lost that game 79-54, 25-point loss for the Jefferson basketball team. So when Jefferson went down to the state tournament for the second time in as many seasons, or third time, I think, in as many seasons, uh, and were matched up with GW in the first round in the 7-2 matchup, people from a statewide perspective didn't have the biggest expectations until 
Jefferson pulled off the upset, advanced to back-to-back state semifinals behind 17 points from Will Shively. Here's Richard Lewis talking about that game after Jefferson was able to win in the first round of the high school boys' state tournament. We got a really good team, and I knew he wasn't the seventh seed. Um, and I told the guys that, you know, one of the schedule, the schedule we played this year, uh, I never played a schedule like that at, at Jefferson. So I thought it paid dividends today because, like you said, we made those plays. We were used to being in those moments. We played against GW, we played against South Charles with the Morgantown at the beginning of the season. And Jefferson's success is carried into this season. Daniel Woods, where they're still expected to be one of the top teams in quad A. That's right, and we saw him last night, and so much back for this Jefferson team, and they've added a little bit on the inside with guys like Quentin Goins and Jared Wilberger uh, coming in to, to bring a little more physicality. I remember being in Charleston for that game last year, and, and like Richard Lewis said, this team wasn't a seven seed. Uh, I mean, you can't look at that, and I had seen Jefferson play earlier in the season, and I thought the same thing. Uh, so a really impressive year uh, for the Cougars, to say the least. But with so many guys back from that team, you certainly feel like they feel like they have some unfinished business when it comes to getting back to Charleston. You can make the argument for number seven that no team in the EPAC or no athletic department had a more successful season than that of Spring Mills as they appear on our list for the second time at number seven. The Spring Mills girls basketball team finished the regular season 18-0. and Here's the call, as you could have heard it here on WEPM and WCST, and the postgame thoughts of their head coach, George Gusk. And for the first time in school history, perfection. The Spring Mills Cardinals, 18-0 to finish the regular season. Coach, at what point this season did you know that you had a chance to finish without a loss in the regular season? I think, like, probably, possibly after we beat Jefferson, because <laughs> that's a tough game at their place, and you know they're going to give you a game. Um, I was pretty confident with this game that, that we would, you know, do our jobs, but, you know, you never know. And this hasn't been a season without chips on the shoulder. You're playing in a very tough conference, uh, although state recognition maybe not quite in your corner. I thought it was mm -hmm. a number four in the last eight people, yeah. so still something you feel this team has to prove? Uh, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, in previous years, we've made the state tournament. We've been eight and seven seeds, respectively. And so, uh, you know, we're looking to further that, hopefully with our sectional and regional win. Uh, hopefully we can get a better seed heading into the state tournament. we, we got to do our job first yeah. in the section in the region. So Spring Mills was 18-0, then 19-0 when they won the section, then 20-0 when they won their region, go down to Charleston, and were the five seed in an eight-team tournament. Disrespected against Cabell Midland. Here's what happened in the first round. A little bit of a longer clip because this is the most legendary production music in all of broadcasting <laughs> and one of the most iconic voices in all of broadcasting. This is Fred Persinger's broadcast of the, I'm not playing the whole game, don't worry, of the uh, first round, the quarterfinals between number four, Cabell Midland, number five, Spring Mills. He's scene setter and uh, some of the key calls from the game to see the Cardinals continue to remain perfect on the season and pick up their 21st victory. The following state championship event is an exclusive presentation of the Metro News Radio Network in partnership with the West Virginia Secondary School Activities Commission. As we get set for the final game of the first day of the 2023 Girls State Tournament, the key word over the next 90 minutes will be respect. Here's what we know. There's only one undefeated girls team still standing in West Virginia. That team has traveled the 310 miles from their home in Martinsburg to battle whichever opponent comes their way as they try to win their school's first ever basketball title. That team is Spring Mills, and the Cardinals are sporting an impressive record of 20-0. An unblemished record. One would think Spring Mills is the number one seed, right? Wrong. They're in fact the number five seed in an 18 tournament. 
They don't even get to wear the home whites in their first game because their opponent is Cabell Midland, and the Knights are the number four seed, and their record is 19-6. and six. Now, don't get me wrong. I personally think Cabell Midland is well-deserving of that number four seed, but undefeated Spring Mills is a number five seed. Again, remember that word respect. Obviously, the Cardinals are getting very little. Do they deserve any R-E-S-P-E-C-T? Or is that a record that is just a little deceiving? It's time to find out. Number four, Campbell Midland. Number five, Spring Mills. As the 2023 state championship continues. Make it two for Kyla Dandridge. She gets her first three ball of the night. And it's 26-23. Inbounds pass stolen by Dandridge. She takes the shot and she's fouled from behind. Pass comes in. They get it in and right back to Ali. Corner. Jumper for three is short. Rebound pulled down. Put up. Won't go. Horn sound. Number five just beat number four. And the Spring Mills Cardinals stay undefeated. Final from the Charleston Coliseum. Spring Mills, 42. Cabell Midland, 39. So again, Spring Mills victorious there. They make it to the state semifinals where they inevitably, unfortunately, fell. But Daniel Woods, uh, an important moment for girls high school basketball in the Eastern Panhandle because the state tournament success for Eastern Panhandle girls team, it's it's just not a, a very long novel. For Spring Mills to accomplish a regular season uh, undefeated, to go down and win in the first round in Charleston, did a lot to earn a lot of, as you heard Fred Persinger say, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, for girls' hoops in this part of the state. A huge step forward, you would have to say. And uh, you're going to look at the EPAC this year, and I don't know that there is a 2023 Spring Mills caliber team that's going to finish with an undefeated regular season and, and go down there and have that kind of, I guess, that kind of notoriety going into the state tournament. But I think on the flip side of that, you have a much more balanced EPAC this year. And I think... Now you're going to have schools on the lookout for what EPAC teams are going to bring to Charleston in the coming years. We move on to number six, and we turn our attention to the baseball diamond as the Hedgesville Eagles had one of the more interesting and exciting runs down to Charleston to play all the way in the state championship game. I think for high school baseball, for much of the regular season, the majority of the attention was directed toward Musselman and Jefferson, and deservedly so. They had two of the best uh, pitching staffs in the entire state. But Hedgesville, you can make the argument, had the best pitcher in the entire state. Uh, Hedgesville was able to win a section against Musselman in walk-off fashion. Lane DeLauder had gone several weeks without having an at-bat and then is inserted into the game as a pinch hitter and wins that sectional game. They then advance to the regional where they take on the vaunted Jefferson baseball program. And John Lowry, who seems as though he's won more high school baseball games in the state than the rest of high school baseball coaches put together, Hedgesville was able to win the first game at Jefferson in a monumental task. Here's how the second game ended and our postgame interview with the hero as well as it sounded on Hedgesville's field. The one-two pitch is grounded to see in Fuegos. It's past him and into center field. And here comes the base runner, Connor, to the plate. The throw not in time. Hedgesville's going to Charleston. They sweep baseball royalty. Another pinch hitter, a walk-off winner. Ian Wolf this time delivers. And a dog pile down the first baseline. Hedgesville back to Charleston for the first time since 2019. Here's Ian Wolf after the game. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Um, a roller coaster of emotions for you, right? Yeah. You give up the tying run, but then you come in and, of course, deliver the biggest hit of the season up until this point. I mean, what did it take pushing that down, kind of resetting, and then getting into the batter's box? You know, you give it up, you 
mad, but just go in the dugout and breathe and then try, try to poke one with a runner on second. Did you know that you were going to be hitting for Jackson in that spot, or were you not sure at first and then kind of got thrown into it a little bit later on? I knew I was going to hit for him, but I didn't know we were at the top of the order when it came up to the inning. <laughs> what pitch did you hit? You know? Curveball. Curveball, okay. Was that something you were sitting for, or you just yeah, reacted to it? He threw all fastballs the entire bat, so it was due for a curveball. Just poke it up the middle. Well, talk about what this means for you. I mean, the fans here, they love it. Obviously, this celebration is going to go for a while. What does it mean for you? What does this mean for Hedgesville? It's big. I've dreamt of this moment my entire life, just making it to States. And it just means amazing for this team. Well, the party didn't stop there for Hedgesville. They go down to the state tournament, of course, just a four-team state tournament for baseball. They take on University in the first round. Here's Dave Wilson of Metro News on the call. Ruist, known as Mr. Hedgesville is at the plate with two runners in scoring position. Ball in the dirt, scoots away from Croston. Here comes Connor from third. He'll slide in safely, and Hedgesville takes the 1-0 lead. Works exclusively from the stretch, delivers this pitch, tapped up the third baseline. Tough play for the third baseman, Walters. He has no play. Run from third, scores on an infield single by Landon Pence. Pence couldn't have rolled it up the third baseline any better. Walters forced to field it. Everybody safe, and it's 2-0 Hedgesville. Harmon to the plate, and this is rifled right back up the middle into center field. RBI single for Connor Quinn, and it's 3-0 Hedgesville. DeLauders break even, got him swinging. Back-to-back -back strikeouts to begin the game for Lane DeLauder. Ruest trying to end it. The pitch is going to be flipped into right field. Pence underneath of it. Pence squeezes it. And Hedgesville is on to the championship game to face Cabell Midland tomorrow afternoon. Hedgesville went on to lose in the state championship game. But, Daniel, it becomes a familiar story. You know, the Eastern Panhandle in the past, it really came down to, well, what kind of team does John Lowry have this year? And if it was a down year for Jefferson, it was a down year for the Eastern Panhandle. Uh, but in steps Coach Grove. Uh, in steps a very talented Musselman program. They're building things at Washington. Martinsburg's got some great pieces coming back. Springville's got some good players. There were three teams, and Martinsburg you could put into that list as well, that I really think could have gone down and made noise in Charleston. Jefferson could have. Musselman could have. Martinsburg could have. You know, again, Washington and Springville's are on the rise. Hedgesville went down and did, and they return a lot of those key pieces from that year, including Lane DeLauder, who's in my opinion, the top pitcher in the state. What a season it was for Hedgesville, the way they won those games, uh, and to go down all the way to the state championship game. It's going to be a really fun year of baseball in, in the Eastern Panhandle this year because it was last year. Uh, but I, I, the way I look at it with baseball out in the Eastern Panhandle here is if Jefferson goes to the state tournament, you know that that it's a good team because it's Jefferson. You know it's a state championship caliber team because it's Jefferson. And if anybody else comes out of the Eastern Panhandle to go to the state baseball tournament, you know that it's a good team and it's a state championship caliber team because they went through Jefferson. And that was what Hedgesville did last year. And seeing that Hedgesville team up close, covering that semifinal game and seeing the talent that they really had one through nine in that lineup and even going into the bench because like you said, they had multiple pinch hitters send them uh, to Charleston. It was a really impressive thing to see. Really excited uh, to see those battles again with with Jefferson this year uh, when we turn things over to 2024 and get into the spring. Uh, and then Musselman, like you said, uh, a great year last year, and I'm sure uh, they are going to have something to say about who goes to Charleston again this year. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Braylon Connor had such a great season at the plate, injured his, I think it was his thumb, 
uh, had to play second base uh, because he, he couldn't make the throw from short because of an injury to his hand and yet still led the game in putouts yeah. at second base, making those crazy diving stops. So Hedgesville coming in at number six. At number five, how could we not put the Martinsburg Bulldog football team on this list? Dave Walker returning after that uh, brief stint in college where he turned a Concord football program around, comes back to the Eastern Panhandle, leads Martinsburg to their 10th state title, his ninth as a head coach. We'll start with an interview that we had with him here on Panhandle Live, when he, or Sports Live, excuse me, when he came back and retook the job, uh, and then the calls from Metro News with them claiming the state title and Walker's thoughts in his interview with Joe Bricado after the game. Well, I mean, I, I always knew that at some point I, I wanted to come back up here. I just, I really like the area. All of my friends are here and, uh, you know, I have family here and I, I just, I just missed uh, being around my people, as you say. Uh, but, for, you know, for me, I, you know, I kind of got it in my mind that uh, the way things were at Concord, I mean, it's, it's a good school, a lot of great people down there, but, uh, as far as you know that that lifestyle, the college lifestyle, and then just the way things are financially, um, with cuts and uh, raising tuition and budget cuts and things, I just didn't feel like it was a um, a place that I needed to continue to stay at. Um, and then um, you know, I, I, I talking to Coach Sherman, we all we obviously stayed in contact the last few years and. Uh, we just, you know, got together, and I told him that I was planning on coming back in the area at some point, and then we just kind of looked at each other and said, "Hey, let's just let's just get the band back together and, uh, you know, do what we were doing before." And it sounded like a great idea, and I warmed up to it, and he warmed up to it, and so we we put the plan in action. All right, the clock winds, and Martinsburg will not have to run another play. It is celebration time, and that sign says it simply. Number one, Martinsburg Bulldogs, after a year off, are back on top. When you decided to come back home to Martinsburg, did you imagine this moment that you're about to have and, and bring a state championship back? No, I mean, those are things the dreams are made of, you know. You, 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 but, no, we just come in and went to work. And, they, and, they, and Britt and those guys, they'd already, they already had, to, had to set up. I mean, so I, I'm just uh, I'm very thankful and uh, just uh, very pleased to be where I'm at. Well, we just finished our conversation talking about John Lowry, you know, as the pinnacle of high school baseball coaching in the state of West Virginia. Uh, same to be said for Dave Walker. He comes in and, and turns this Martinsburg program into not just the premier program in the state, but one of the best regional programs in the country. You think about, you know, players of his that have gone on to play at a high level in college. Uh, one particular individual who may or may not also end up featured on this list in a couple of moments that's starting games uh, for the Chicago Bears. Um, you know, Dave Walker coming back to Martinsburg, everybody knew the second that he came back. And credit where credit is due to Britt Sherman to keeping the program at a high level when Dave Walker stepped away for a couple of years and remaining on the staff and continuing to make it a juggernaut. But, you know, when he came back, Martinsburg was already a favorite to win a state championship, but that just even further solidified it. They took care of business. I kind of walked into the playoff run uh, that Martinsburg uh, was was on and, and kind of walked into the Super 6 prep, I guess you could say, uh, when, when I started out here in Martinsburg. And uh, again, just the the level of excitement and the the culture built around that program, it's, it's so easy to see right off the bat. And uh, Britt Sherman kept things together the couple of years that, that Dave Walker was gone and they had some great teams. And then he steps right back in this year, and it's like he never left. It was really impressive to watch. Moving on to number four, we talk about dynasties and success in the Eastern Panhandle. Well, people may not know, 
that the premier golf team is also in the Eastern Panhandle and the high school boys side of things. Washington claims the state title this past season. Excuse me, and as an individual, Tommy Edmonds was the top golfer in the state. By the way, Tommy Edmonds is just a freshman. Washington wins the team championship by 17 strokes. Evans shot 138 over his two days uh, at the course up there in Wheeling, which Daniel, you know, we didn't even notice at the time was just two shots off the course record. So crazy. Again, football runs through the Eastern Panhandle. Baseball at times runs through the Eastern Panhandle. Softball, volleyball, golf runs through the Eastern Panhandle. Washington, what they did last season was dominant. Absolutely. And uh, I was there, uh, was able to see that that performance from Tommy Evans up close on the final day. And even beyond what he did, which was so, so impressive for a freshman, his ability to drive the ball as a 14, 15 year old is so impressive. And then you also had two more top 10 finishers from Washington on that team. And and like you said, with Tommy Evans playing in the number one spot for that Washington team, I, I don't see them going anywhere over the next three years. Yeah, you mentioned Charlie Schultz and Andrew Taylor as well in the top 10 for Washington. Tommy Evans, Evans coming back uh, to play, I'm sure, his sophomore year and an opportunity to defend his individual title and his team title as well. The Washington golf team coming in at number four. At number three, a little bit of a pro flavor. Somebody not from the Eastern Panhandle. Uh, Eastern Panhandle adjacent that played his college baseball at Shepherd University and Brenton Doyle. Interesting season for the Colorado Rockies. He only hit 203, but then you look at the tertiary numbers on, on top of that. 10 home runs, 48 RBIs, 22 stolen bases. Here's one of the home run calls that former Shepherd Ram Brenton Doyle had for the Colorado Rockies this past season. played his college baseball in West Virginia. But that's not the only reason Bretton Doyle's on this list. When he really started to grab the attention of national media, it was for his you know, flashing of the leather in center field, becoming one, immediately one of the best defensive center fielders in all of Major League Baseball and was awarded so uh, with a gold glove at the end of the season. Again, just highlight play after highlight play from the former Shepherd. This is line to center field coming on. Is Doyle, he can really throw. On line to the plate. Ah! at the plate what a throw by Brett Doyle oh man what a throw and that keeps the Rockies locked up at three as they jog off the field so you look at a Rockies team that's uh, trying to build talent well here's a guy that just hit double digit home runs at 22 stolen bases can handle the stick pretty well OBP not that bad and by the way he's the best defensive center fielder in baseball it's hard to argue. It's it's really really hard to argue with with that entire rundown of what Brenton Doyle came in and did last year. And uh, again, you're a guy that was you know, three four years ago was hitting Division two pitching at, at Shepherd, and uh, he he performed well in the minors. He steps into the majors, gets that opportunity, like you said, elite defensively. Showed enough pop that you could say, you know, this guy has the ability to hit the ball over the fence at a consistent rate probably sometime in the future, gets on base, you get that batting average up. Uh, I've seen it watching the Pittsburgh Pirates the last handful of years with Key Brian Hayes being the best defensive third baseman in baseball, and all you're asking for is uh, get that get that average up to 265, hit 15 home runs, and this guy's an all-star every year because of the glove. And Brenton Doyle is that exact same kind of player where if that bat comes along, you're looking at one of the most valuable players in baseball. 
Moving on to number two, I think the state of West Virginia was a little bit stunned when a six foot four skinny quarterback from Martinsburg was able to dazzle in the state championship game on Wheeling Island. Martinsburg fans were not surprised. I think the world was stunned when a quarterback from a university that nobody's ever heard of at Shepard broke the college football record for touchdowns in a career. Well, people from the state of West Virginia certainly were not surprised. And then the world was again put on notice when an undrafted Division II quarterback won his first NFL start for the Chicago Bears and Tyson Bajan uh, playing as well as he did. Well, people from the Eastern Panhandle, people from the state of West Virginia were not surprised. You ask people what they think about Tyson Bajan, and the word that comes to mind more often than not is special. Tyson Bajan, as an undrafted rookie, threw more touchdowns than anybody in the history of college football until, unfortunately, that record was broken this past year by John Matoka. Uh, was able to win his first NFL start, his first touchdown pass thrown to running back Dante Foreman. Bajan's got to be sharp here. Third and goal. Bajan with time. Throws it short. Foreman with the catch. Foreman to the end zone for the touchdown. And the first career touchdown pass for Tyson Bajan. Tyson Bajan, again, is special. He's he's a high IQ player. He can make just about any throw. He's mobile. He's got all the key ingredients to be a long-time, long-term NFL pro. And it was great to see his career start. It was great to see Shepard in the headlines mentioned so often how many people interviewed Coach McCook to talk about the player that Tyson Bajan was to find out what all of us already knew here in the state of West Virginia that he's a very special player. So, so fun to watch. And watching Tyson Bajan progress over the years – so so fun to watch even from high school to college and now into the NFL and uh, like you said it surprised a lot of people uh, to see the buzz that he was getting in training camp but it didn't surprise anybody in West Virginia and I think that's the thing that stood out the most was he was a known commodity you know to this group of people in the eastern panhandle and then eventually expanding into the entire state of West Virginia and then the community around division two football. And now it's hard to call yourself a a consistent follower of the NFL and not know the name Tyson Bajan. And you have to wonder what's keeping Tyson Bajan off the top spot. Well, how about the winningest coach in the history of college football, at least when he retired Monty Cater this past year uh, was honored and inducted into the college football hall of fame. When he retired, Coach Cater, 275 victories, just 117 defeats, 245 of those victories coming as a Shepherd Bram, the man that had played uh, or coached his team to a national championship that was the Weeviac Coach of the Year eight times. Nobody's won as many conference championships as he had in the Weeviac, uh, and then the Mountain East Conference when it was formed as well. Coach Monty Cater, more deserving than any college football coach that went into the Hall of Fame this past year, uh, was honored in Vegas. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, he was able to join us for an edition of the Ernie McCook Show and uh, had this to say about one of the most successful careers of any coach at any level of coaching football ever. No, I really wouldn't. And I'd like to go back to the, this point that I started out as a Shelbyville Ram and you end up as a shepherd ram. And the time, the time that I've had uh, to go ahead and the people and coaches and Coach McCook and uh, is one of the great ones that I've had a chance to be with as far as the, the staff was concerned. But, no, I don't think you ever have that. You, you're, you dream it uh, more so as a player. I want to be a great player and play for the Bears. But the, the thing that, uh, you know, you have a chance to finally go ahead and do is, is, is just, just amazing. You think about all the coaches and players that made it happen because nobody does this on their own. You need 
great help, and, and we were able to have that for so long. So Monty Cater, and again, he didn't walk into Alabama. You know, he didn't walk into a program that had elite facilities, an insane recruiting budget, an insane record of success. His first year at Lakeland, he went 1-7-1. and When he left, they went 9-1. and His first year at Shepard, they went 4-6. and By the way, in his second season, he claimed a portion of that conference championship. In his last year at Shepard, he went 10-1. and Monty Cater, one of the best to ever do it, if not the best to ever do it, coaching college football. You can't ask for much more. Uh, again, you look at what Shepard is today, and you look at what Ernie Captain McCook has there in, in terms of their success, and, and you simply cannot ask for more than what Monty Cater gave you to build this program over such a long period of time, and now it just keeps rolling. Absolutely. Well, uh, that tone that you heard there meant that we're way behind on a break. So coming up in just a couple of moments, as you've heard our top 10 list, we'd love to get your thoughts. You can let us know on our text line 304-263-4321. If you agree with our list, who would you add? Who would you subtract your thoughts uh, from our top 10 list? We're going to have this posted in an article at panhandlenewsnetwork.com coming up here in the next couple of days. We'll take a look at the pro sports landscape in the dying seconds that we have left in this episode of Panhandle Sports Live. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Follow our socials for updates on live broadcasts of local games. Final segment of Panhandle Sports Live. High school basketball coming up tonight. Martinsburg against Lindsley. You're not going to want to miss that. It begins in the 7 o'clock hour. I'm Luke Wiggs, Daniel Woods alongside. Just two things we really want to hit on here in the remaining seconds that we have left on the show. Uh, we turn our attention first to the NBA where the Detroit Pistons, again, are not able to win a basketball game uh, they fell last night in overtime. We were able to watch the majority of this game at the hands of the Boston Celtics. They lost 128 to 122. And uh, Daniel Woods, they lost because of this guy. Pingus, Pingus! I never heard of Latimia! You drafted this kid! You stupid! So uh, that, of course, is in reference to Kristaps uh, Porzingis and the Nets. Our uh, Knicks fans Par not happy. Parker that they Stone's them. favorite Latvian Celtic of all time. He goes for 35 points. The Pistons lose another game. Yeah, they were up 21 in the first half. Yep. It's not great. Uh, and, and again, Boston has the best record in the NBA, and it felt like a, a storybook ending waiting to happen uh, with a shot potentially for Cade Cunningham to win it. Uh, it ends up going to overtime, and, and the Celtics pull it out. And, and then lastly, we want to turn our attention to the NFL as well, where the Browns are 11-5, 27-20. They beat the Jets yesterday. 309 yards passing and three touchdowns in the victory for Joe Flacco. By the way, for those of you that want to know, he passed Johnny Manziel yesterday for 31st all-time in passing yards in Cleveland Brown history. Here's one of his touchdown passes, as it could have been sounded on ESPN 850 in uh, Cleveland. Joe Flacco got hit. He rolls out of the hit. He runs it. And then he throws it. And Ford caught it at the 30, at the 20, at the 15, at the 10, at the 5. He's still going, and he pulls it for you. So Joe Flacco does it again, Daniel. The Joe Flacco train continues to roll as the Cleveland Browns have officially clinched a playoff spot. And again, this is as a fan of a, another AFC North team. 
this is really fun to watch. I I'm sorry. This is a really cool story, and I'm really enjoying watching Joe Flacco do this week in and week out. Well, that's going to do it for us, this edition of Panhandle Sports Live. If you missed any of your part of today's show, we're going to be posting it on our Spotify coming up in just a couple of moments. We'd love to get your thoughts. 304-263-4321. If you agreed with our top 10 Eastern Panhandle Sports Stories of the Year, we'd love to get your feedback uh, on either Monday or Tuesday's show. We'll certainly be reacting towards it. And again, we've got high school basketball coming up tonight here on WEPM and WCST. Martinsburg against Lindsley. That game will tip off in the 7 o'clock hour. For Daniel Woods, I've been Luke Wiggs. That's going to do it for us this week on Panhandle Sports Live. We'll talk to you later. Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.